All right, everybody, welcome to the June 16th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got Dan with me here today. Chris is traveling, and JJ is uh, recovering from his birthday festivities of last week, I assume. How are you, Dan? I am doing okay, Brock. How have you been? Uh, I've been better, but it's been okay. Um, we skipped sure. last week. I, I got back from Iowa and didn't really have a whole lot of time before the episode. So uh, hopefully me being sick this week will be better than me not being here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Um, before we actually get started, there was something that me and Chris had discussed uh, a couple weeks ago that we both wanted to get your opinion on. And since he's not here, I'll ask that. Uh, we <laughs> were talking about the ERA uh, potentially coming back into uh, the discussion and another state passing it. And one thing that we noted is that on the count of states that had previously approved the amendment, there were several, I think three, that then rescinded their endorsement of the amendment later. And neither him or I could really figure out legally how we'd play that one. There's nothing in the Constitution that says they can't rescind their uh, their endorsement of the amendment, but then there's also a pretty well-defined path for this to go in, and it at no point mentions rescinding it. And when the, the path to passing an amendment is so well laid out it struck me as maybe they're not allowed to do that after initially feeling like of course that they're allowed to to take that back uh as just kind of nonsense before you really get into the meat of the episode how would you feel about that as a judge yeah i mean that's going to be i mean the way i would think to go back to that is to go back and look at uh i want to say article five but honestly that's you know such a strange question uh yeah, I, I think the general scholarship has been that once an amendment is ratified by a state, that's it. You know, and there is you know, you know the main uh, requirement for adoption of an amendment to the Constitution is ratification by the supermajority of states, um, and at least under the Constitution, there's nothing that said it all has to happen at the same time. Uh, there's a little bit of unique circumstances with the ERA, uh, mostly that the uh, legislation that was passed by Congress uh, to adopt it set limitations on the time period during which ratification could take place, and that is you know, how it died initially. Uh, so, I mean, Barring some new act of Congress uh, retroactively going back and extending the period, it's probably a moot question. But uh, if the, if the possibility that Congress could change hands and a majority could take hold that with a greater interest in passing the ERA, uh, that's going to be a fascinating question. <laughs> and I really wouldn't know how the courts would deal with it. Uh, I'd be especially skeptical of how the uh, Roberts court would deal with it, but uh, we can always find out. So congratulations, Dan, with all your many, many hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal education, you came to basically the same conclusion we did, which is we yeah. have zero idea. Well, that's just who. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's such a strange, you know, how often does the Constitution get amended? You know, maybe once every... 50 years at least that's how it's been this century anyhow so yeah all right well then we'll get into the actual meat and potatoes of this week um we'll cover the russia nexus and the russian investigation and all the things surrounding that in a minute 
But I kind of want to start with the big international story, which was the North Korean-American summit in an island off Singapore, which I was not aware was large enough to have its own islands. I thought that was a single city, but <laughs> hey. Um, now, the, the meeting went basically exactly as we expected. Um, well, maybe not that. North Korea's part of the meeting went exactly as we expected. They gave up nothing. They got pretty much everything they wanted, including a bunch of very nice, happy photographs of the U.S. president shaking hands with the supreme leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, as if he were, you know, the president of Colombia or something. Um, or any other country, even better than the prime minister of Canada. So Yeah. 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 Um, and I guess, actually, I didn't throw on the topic list, but we'll talk about the Canadian thing with the tariffs, too. Um, now, Trump has come away rather impressed with North Korea. He's told people that when Kim Jong-un speaks, the North Korean generals and soldiers and officials all listen attentively, and he wants his people to be like that. Uh, taking cues from a deranged dictator is exactly you know, what I want in a U.S. president. Makes me feel safe. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the other thing that I, I noted in our Facebook group and shared a link to was the U.S. government spent apparently, even though I did not think that film needed it, a few hundred thousand dollars producing a propaganda film for North Korea, which, forgive my language, but spent three or four minutes sucking Kim Jong-un's dick. Yeah. Basically yeah, what it was... is. They hired some Hollywood, uh, you know, voiceover artist to do what seemed, for all the world, like a trailer for a film. It was even billed as such, Destiny Productions, which is just a name that was used by part of the U.S. State Department, uh, talking about how great a leader he was, how only two men, President Trump and Supreme Leader Kim Jong-un, could accomplish this and how they were stepping up to their destiny. And I have never in my life, and that may be a little bit because I didn't live through the Sandinista period and whatnot, but I have never seen the U.S. government so full-throatedly embrace a dictator like that. Usually they'll couch it in geopolitical real politic or whatever. You know, we have to do this because otherwise this other really horrible thing is gone. No, this was a full-throated endorsement. Yeah, I mean, it, absolutely. The uh, it, it harkens back to, like you described, the, uh, the period where we embraced a whole lot of unsavory characters in the name of stymieing the efforts of the Soviet Union in those parts of the world, you know, whether that was uh, Pinochet or folks like that. And, but that was, again, with a purpose, you know, there was some geopolitical strategy in place, you know, however immoral it was, and there was a lot of uh, reaction against that, both among liberals and among neoconservatives. But, uh, yeah, there was some mean some some ends to which this awful means was in place and this was just it's purposeless i mean yeah you don't want someone to you, know, you don't want someone to get nuked by kim jong un but that that hasn't been accomplished here at all i mean this is i i look at this and i try to figure out what exactly has been accomplished here and it's anyone who knows anything about foreign policy it says it's less than anything that's been done in the last 25 years of negotiations and summits and attempted deals with the uh, North Korean uh, regime. This is, I believe, the first time since the, the the Kim regime really took focus or took power in North Korea that we've talked unilaterally with 
them. And in the past, I think Clinton may have had a, a couple meetings between the State Department and North Korean uh, Ministry of State, but the leaders have only talked in the, the group of six or whatever on one where they come as a group to try and resolve this. This was placing him in a position of equality with the president. And it just, there, I realize the president has to do business with unsavory people, especially if he wants to get things done. You know, Iran isn't going to be solved by just pretending they're not there. North Korea is not Iran. North Korea is not an actual state mm-hmm. in any sense of the word. It's it's a cult. The the Juchi ideology of, of military first and sacrificing everything is drilled into their heads from a very young age. This worship of the Kim family going down to the, the patriarch, the, the first one was Kim Il-sun, was uh, born in a cave with a unicorn on the border of China and North Korea. I, the, the previous Kim, uh, Kim Jong-il, was said to have won like 56 or something Olympic gold medals, which is easily repeated by anybody who looks up Olympic record books, but still they parrot this to their people and they believe it and they're willing to sacrifice everything for their leaders, and they have. In the 90s, there are credible reports of of human meat markets operating during the North Korean famine that ran for like six years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so pointless. The whole thing has been so bizarre and degrading of America's position in the world, but that that's a continuation of everything that's happened since you know November eighth, two thousand sixteen. You know we've kind of made our bed in terms of how we're going to be seen by the world from here on out. Yeah, not right. Well, we'll flip that around to our other international story then. Uh, and Trump is back with his tariffs. He left the G seven meeting in shambles. The United States mm-hmm. was the only country to not endorse the uh, the group statement at the end of it. I believe that's the first time that's ever happened. He directly attract or attacked noted heartthrob, uh, Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. Um, you know, just only America's most important ally. I went off on this on our last show, but just beyond the military cooperation, and there's a lot. We jointly run NORAD, a lot of our anti-Russian defenses are stationed in the north of Canada. Beyond all that cooperation, just the fact that we have a 5,000 or 7,000, if you include Alaska, mile-long border with Canada that we don't have to worry about is hugely important to the military. It allows us to focus much more of our resources on things that actually need to be happening. That this decision to just attack Canada as some sort of bad guy is ridiculous. Yeah. It's the dumbest thing uh, I could possibly imagine. I guess, you know, some of the speculation, the people who want to put, you know, some kind of method to Trump's insanity, the idea was that he was trying to look strong before he went into the summit with Kim, but... He doesn't. He looks like a petulant child. Well, sure. (laughs) I don't know any two-year-old who looks strong. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much exactly it. And after slapping tariffs and attacking Canada, he then turned around and attacked the one person he had previously been unwilling to attack in his trade war talk, and that has been China, slapped a 25% tariff on most imports from China. There had been talk about it only being steel and aluminum, but uh, yeah, aside from a few exempt goods, he just slapped a 25% tariff across the board on Canadian goods. 
Yeah, and well, it could come back and harm him in the end. Uh, the economists are projecting that we've gone a very long time without any kind of downturn in the economy. Uh, if we do find ourselves in a trade war, things could, I think, I think that could turn things around pretty quickly. Um, and that is going to be one of the main determinants, I think, of whether Trump can serve more than one term in office, is whether or not the economy continues to prop him up. It's also strangely targeted at his own base. Like, Chinese goods are not coming into Whole Foods. They're coming into Walmart. Right. They're, they're coming into the stores that, for lack of a better word, the, the Republican voters uh, are the ones who shop at. In all mm -hmm. of the San Francisco Bay Area, I think there were two Walmarts. There were four in Des Moines. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And and then when these countries retaliate and put slap their own tariffs on things, they're also, we've noted before, being careful to place them on uh, the products of, you know, the trump voting heartland again yeah so the republican party in congress as the eu has uh gloriously targeted theirs on businesses that right. operate in uh mitch mcconnell's home state and paul ryan's home district mm -hmm. uh which you know at least they're being compassionate about it a 25 percent across the board tariff on american goods will hurt a lot of people not that it's really their concern they have their own citizens to worry about but the fact that it's targeted really at least makes me feel less like it's an attack and more like it's a response well sure and trying to put pressure on the people responsible yeah yeah we'll we'll, we'll see how it's interpreted uh by those voters i bet a lot of them will find some way to blame barack obama but oh, uh, i'm sure you know how much <laughs> he hates harley davidson's yeah yeah Right. So, there's that. Uh, let's let's move to the Russian investigation then. There's been, uh, at least as I see it, two huge news bombs uh, in the last week, and then the Inspector General's report is also on there, although not directly related. Uh, but there are reports, unconfirmed, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, reports said Michael Cohen is cooperating, not in the Russian investigation, but in the investigation against himself which seems strange. Wanna I guess uh, copying a, a plea. Uh, well, of course you can cooperate in an investigation against yourself or at least negotiate a plea, you know, try and plea down and say, okay, investigators, you have this, this, and this on me, but uh, you don't have this necessarily, so how about I copped everything that you can, you know, you can make stick and for making it easier, uh, <laughs> be easier in avoiding a trial, we can, uh, you know, move on with our lives and all go to jail, but maybe for less time. I mean, maybe that's what he's doing. Uh, I've also seen some speculation that maybe he's also trying to work at a deal that protects uh, the people that got him into business in the first place, mostly his family, who a lot of uh, any kind of... Uh, Crimes that he may have done with Donald Trump are probably going to have some implication for that world as well, considering that it was people like his father-in-law that put him in touch with Trump in the first place. I, so I, maybe that's what he's doing. You say he's protecting his family. I'm wondering if he's protecting Sean Hannity. I don't know what sort of legal advice he gave. 
those last clients, you know, he's got to stick with them to the very end. The way you were explaining how Cohen might come to that conclusion made me realize that before this all is up, I would not be surprised if Donald Trump is the type of guy to have an Alford plea. That is exactly... Sorry? Donald Trump is exactly the type of guy who, if this investigation gets to him, I can totally see an Alford plea coming from there. Okay. Sure. Sure. I, uh... That's probably in the weeds, but... The Alford plea is, uh, it's a guilty plea that's made without admitting guilt. It's basically saying that the prosecution has enough evidence to make the appearance of the crime to make fighting it completely irrelevant, although you are not admitting guilt with your guilty plea. Used the whole no-contest idea. Kind of, but different. Uh, and it's, for one, it preserves your ability to appeal. But also, uh, it used to be fairly common. You haven't seen them, at least in federal courts, uh, in probably about 50 years. They've really cracked down on them. But, yeah, it used to be a fairly common thing, and it's exactly the type of sleazy sort of plea I could see Trump going with if the uh, the investigation gets to him. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. We'll, we'll see if it comes to that point. I think there's still a, a strong chance that, at least in terms of the investigation, it's going to be... You know, Trump is the unindicted co-conspirator, but uh, yeah, uh, definitely in, out there. In terms of getting closer to him, Paul Manafort is now in jail, uh, awaiting his trial. His bail has been revoked. Uh, this was as a consequence of Mueller pulling up encrypted chats he had had with other witnesses, uh, attempting to coordinate their story. By the way, just to tie back into the last little note, and then I forgot, the Cohen cooperating news came on the heels of news that the FBI had recovered many, many, apparently gigabytes, of encrypted data from his phones that they were able to unencrypt, including uh, encrypted messaging chats and uh, file sharing and whatnot. Uh, and that's when he changed his tune. Manafort got the... Uh, also, Michael Cohen was still using not one, but two Blackberries. That was another part of that story that seemed strange to me. Not one, two. Two Blackberries. Huh. Blackberries, too. That and I, I don't even... 2007. Yeah, well, they yeah. mentioned things like Signal and, and Telegram, and I don't think those apps were ever made for the classic Blackberry. So I'm assuming they're talking about the new Android-powered Blackberries, but I didn't get any confirmation about that. Huh. And All right. it's even stranger if it's the new one because nobody is buying those. At least yeah. if it's the old one, you know, there was a certain business cachet to that back in the day. I could see them sticking around. The new Blackberries sell like three copies. <laughs> That's how they found him. He had yeah. two of them. <laughs> yeah, check the receipts. Oh, man. <laughs> well, back to Manafort now. Um, the, the president has talked about this on Twitter. Uh, his lawyer, Michael Cohen, has talked about this. Uh, Dershowitz has talked about this. All of them are attacking the judge. All of them are talking about how this isn't fair. All of them are mentioning that Crooked Hillary is still not in jail, but Paul Manafort is, as if those things are in any way related whatsoever. Um, it really seems like they're making space for a pardon, I guess. That, that seems to be what they're doing. Or, or creating, you know, kind of sending the signal to uh, people like Cohen, people like Manafort, like, hey, you, know, you may be under a lot of pressure now, but uh, don't testify and it'll work out. Yeah, yeah, I think that that could very well be what they're trying to do uh, here. The mobocracy that is control of the American government at this point? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
he'll pardon anybody. You know, maybe it'll be after you're dead, but <laughs> remember, you'll get there. Remember during the Bush administration on his way out the door when we were all so worried about like a perpetual pardon that there mm-hmm. was a, a little piece of paper that Bush had signed right before he left office in a safe in the White House somewhere saying that all these crimes from now until the end of time totally forgiven for people like Scooter Libby or whatever. Uh, yeah, well, he did commute Libby's sentence, yeah. Yeah, but the perpetual pardon never actually came about. Some on the Republican were shopping, on the Republican side were shopping it around. But right. To his credit, I don't think Bush was ever stupid enough to go with that. Even, even Libby, he commuted the sentence. He didn't pardon him. And he made right. a big point during the commutation that the guy's life is over. He's never going to be a practicing lawyer again. He's never going to work in government again. We're just going to keep him out. He's not doing anything else. Uh, yeah. Whereas Trump has used it as a way to stoke flames, you know, going all the way back to the Joe Arpaio pardon. Right. You know, against people who are active in public life. Exactly. I mean, Arpaio is, uh, he's still a candidate for Senate right now. There's a bunch of candidates for Senate on the Republican side who are pretty bad. One of them's an outright neo-Nazi. Right. right. Well, several, actually. And I think only one senator. There's a few House members who are actually right. about, like, neo-Nazis. But there's one senator photographed with some Klansmen and a Confederate flag. I, there, I think there. it's the Republican nominee in Illinois or Indiana or one of the other yes, states. Yes, there was at least one of those there. And I think maybe one in, I want to say, Virginia. Yeah, I think Virginia there was another one. So, oh, yeah, they're... They're all over. They're multiplying. Yeah, yeah. The other <laughs> thing that touches on the the Russia investigation is the Inspector General's report on the high-ranking FBI, most notably Jim Comey. Um, and like any good compromise, it left both sides mad. Um, mm-hmm. That's a line I'm happily stealing from Calvin Hobbes. If you want to complain about it, suck it. Um, Jim Comey comes out of this, uh, he was called insubordinate. Uh, he was called, well, it was said that he disregarded FBI policy, specifically in his handling of the Clinton email investigation by keeping the Justice Department out of the loop on his uh, decision to go to the media just a few days before the election. Not that he was supposed to give them input, but he was supposed to give them a heads up. He did none of those things. Uh, he disregarded several parts of uh, the FBI's policies in, in doing this, but the same report said that there was no evidence of bias. Uh, I don't know whether it's true or not, but Comey has always said that uh, he was trying to leave everything on the table because he didn't want any bias there, although it seems he left a lot more on the table for uh, Clinton than he did for Trump, such as you know not disclosing the investigation to Trump while at the same time giving many, many excruciating details on his investigation with Clinton that ultimately went nowhere. Um, but Trump's pissed about the report because of the no-bias finding. The Democrats are pissed at the report because, well, they still see Comey as something of a sleazeball because of the Clinton investigation, even if they don't think he should have been summarily fired for political reasons. That's always a, a tough needle to thread. Oh, sure. Well, I think the report confirms a lot of what we have known since then, was that Comey and the FBI were not being fair to Hillary Clinton. And given the closeness of the election, of course, that 
impacted it that uh, probably handed Donald Trump the presidency. And the consequences for that are so enormous. And it's pretty clear that he was going against against protocol and against the orders of his direct superior in the attorney general's office. So, yeah, it's I think there's very good reason to be upset about it. And, yeah, Trump's mad because I guess it doesn't show that uh, – hell if I know what exactly it is he thinks it was going to show that uh, somehow Comey was aiding and abetting Russians or something like that and sabotaging Trump. But, yeah, yeah, just so bizarre. So real talk for a second. When Comey was giving his interviews and telling people that he was living in a world where Hillary, Hillary Clinton was going to be president, and he didn't want to go into that. He's a Republican. He's a lifelong Republican. He didn't want to mm-hmm. go into that thinking like he'd tried to hide something. And the only reason he talked about the Clinton investigation was because Clinton was going to be president, and he didn't want to, to look like a toady and all this. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe he really thought there was no way Trump wins this, and he was just trying to look nice for the history books? Or do you think Comey yeah. was actually trying to throw I think just about everybody thought Clinton was going to win. And that was, I mean, that was definitely the sentiment in the press. And I think that was also probably Comey's thoughts as well. Do I think he was trying to help Trump actually win? No, but I think he was probably trying to make it harder on Clinton. You know, I I think there's a long-standing animus that he's felt he was part of the Whitewater investigation towards the Clintons. Uh, And sure, that uh, if she was going to win, if she was going to be president, then by God, she wasn't going to do it with some, you know, 40-state electoral college victory. Uh, She was going to, you know, it was going to be tough. And he was going to show that he was tough on her. You know, the Republicans, they were certainly getting ready to launch articles of impeachment the moment she took office. Uh, So, yeah, he was going to fuel that fire. And whether or not that was uh, FBI protocol, that was really what he was going to do. And, yeah, it's appalling. Even if he wasn't actively trying to make Trump president, it was extremely irresponsible. And it ultimately did make Trump president when it came down to it. The... uh... It's interesting you mentioned the Whitewater thing. I hadn't really thought about that. That's got to be a pretty formative, like, experience for him. That was a, it's like a 12-fucking-year investigation. And although they found nothing criminal, the Clintons don't come through that looking like anything less than kind of sleazeballs. At least Bill. Yeah, yeah, a little sleazy. And, but, yeah, not, not never illegal. anything criminal. Yeah, I, I yeah, don't, I don't exactly. want to dip that. It, it was 100% not criminal. It was unethical, but not criminal. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Uh, We will talk about our last federal issue, which happily transitions into our local stories at the same time. Uh, Trump has signed a executive order that was championed by Jeff Sessions, among others, that separates families at the border coming into the United States when they're detained. Uh, Through the six weeks that the policy has been in place, I believe I saw that they'd separated 2,000 families. Um, to the point where they actually don't have enough facilities to hold them all. They're having to transfer adults, at least, into federal prisons instead of immigration camps. They're building tent cities in Texas to house these kids. Yeah, and I think one of them is in that old fucking Walmart that was the subject of all those Jade Helm conspiracies. Right. Uh, was Oh, my God. That is just... 
that is a perfect goddamn irony. Yeah. All the all the all the cousin humping white people terrified that the military and the government under Obama were going to herd him into Walmarts and yeah, their hero is putting little kids in there. Yeah. The um the UN has come down on this harshly, not that they can actually do anything. But they they have said it's illegal and will be initiating uh action against the United States, actions that will not affect anything. Uh, we've already withdrawn from the UN Human Rights Council. That was announced this week as well. You know, good times for us. Way to set an example. Clap, clap, clap. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Democrats in Washington are deriding this as uh, an abomination, and notably, they are getting some help from the uh, the evangelical wing of the Republican Party, who has finally found a topic on which they have a backbone. In the face of uh, just Trump's completely ripping up of their morality. Not that I think their morality is all that moral, but they think it's pretty moral, and their president is tearing it apart. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised to see the article about Franklin Graham seeing this as the kind of the straw too far. Because, oh man, as much as uh, well, I'm, I don't, I, I'm not going to get too. Uh, an- <laughs> What's the term I'm going to say? Uh, impolitic about you know going after Billy Graham, but yeah, I mean, the the family has a history of being terrible, <laughs> extremely terrible. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, it is reassuring because churches are really the one spot on the right that has always been fairly sympathetic to the immigrant story. Um, right. And I think a lot of it has to do with there are many many biblical allegories of, of foreigners coming into the lands uh, of the Jews or uh, the lands of the Egyptians or whatnot, and the people who help them and welcome them are always held up as examples. Um, mm-hmm. So it, I guess it's, it's not surprising to me that they picked this topic, but it is surprising to me that they picked a topic anyway, like regardless of which one it was. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so that that's good to see that there's uh, some resistance there. Uh, there's uh, as far as things happening in Congress, uh, Diane Feinstein has a bill, I guess, with 40 co-sponsors currently uh, going, you know, trying to stop this practice. And House Republicans have their own bill, I guess, that also involves uh, cutting off all forms of legal immigration. So yeah. that's nice. Yeah, hold, hold, holding all these uh, children hostage so they can uh, continue booting out people who come here legally. Uh, kind of in this whole nexus as well, the uh, the moderate Republicans in the House uh, got a vote on a bill about uh, DACA, basically, the, the Dreamers. They were poised to have the first successful discharge petition in modern Congress history, something I've been wanting to see for a while. In the end, Ryan headed it off by allowing votes on three bills. One, a hard line that everybody expects to fail. One, a uh, kind of a free-for-all DACA with nothing else added to it that they also kind of expect to fail. And a third one that they're open to amendments from the moderates on that they're hoping to see pass. The White House initially trashed it, trashed all three, trashed the entire idea of a compromise. And then... Trump came out and was just like, hey, no, actually, we're okay with all this, which <laughs> just tells you about the chaos in the White House, as much as he tries to say there is none. Yeah. 
just uh, attacking. Yeah, the the well, he's done that several times before. Uh, one of them was uh, tweeting out against the uh, review renewal of uh, was it FISA? I think it was FISA mm-hmm. that he was saying, "Oh, this is terrible," because he saw something about it on Fox News about how that was how they got the warrant against him. And so, yeah, he comes out against it, and then his policy people say, wait, 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 we're also authoritarian, so we want to use this. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you have to say it's good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, in terms of the detainees and separating families on the border, uh, nearly the entire Oregon congressional delegation, all the Democrats, and I believe we only have one Republican, so he's the only one right. who missed it, uh, are making a visit to, or made a visit earlier today yeah to a a federal prison down near salem i believe uh to see the the undocumented immigrants being held in the facility to talk to them make sure that they're they're getting all the legal uh assistance that they require that sort of thing i i think it's just a goodwill gesture i don't know if there's anything that a single senator a single representative can really do besides getting them in touch with the right people yeah, and we had actually some similar, uh, I want to say, uh, a, a similar uh, action was taken by the Washington delegation as well, along with Governor Inslee. We have a uh, terrible facility in, I want to say, Tacoma, which has actually been sued by our state because they uh, uh, use basically slave labor there. They uh, make people work and they don't pay them. So... Uh, yeah, and they uh, detain a lot of uh, immigrants there, people whose uh, papers aren't lined up, but haven't necessarily committed any crimes. Just that uh, they're they're um, pending, you know, resolution of their status. And yeah, so Inslee and the rest were protesting that this week as well. So good on the Northwest delegations. One of the things that stands out to me in this uh, this article about the Oregon Democratic delegation going out there that they have the spokesman for ICE coming out and saying that they're committed to connecting family members as quickly as possible after separation so parents know where their children are and can have regular communication with them in accordance with ICE policies and detention standards. It seems to me like that would be a whole lot easier by just keeping them in the same prison. You don't have to track all this information. You don't have to arrange for phone time. You don't have to do any of that. You can just keep them together and not spend all that money in a logistical nightmare tracking however many thousands of people across however many dozens of federal facilities. Right. There's really no excuse for that policy beyond cruelty. That's exactly what the evangelicals leaders said, and surprise, surprise, I'm in agreement with them for once on something. Yeah, Uh, it's been pointed out also, that's why Jeff Sessions keeps this job, despite all the uh, terrible things Trump says about him and humiliates him in public. He gets to do this. Right. So, yeah. That's what that's what gets him up in the morning. God damn it. I hate her. I, I hate this time. This, this fucking timeline. <laughs> it's the worst. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Let's finish up our, our shortened episode this week with our, our only true all-local story, Seattle's Head Tax, which we have talked about just buckets over the last few months uh is repealed now after passing being vetoed passing again now it's repealed uh it came after amazon decided that despite saying they were okay with it they weren't okay with it anymore they raised a hissy fit 
They stopped planning a building that they were building in downtown Seattle that was going to bring in millions of dollars in tax revenue for the city. Um, a petition to get it repealed got enough signatures to get on the ballot in the next election. And then the city council decided enough was enough and they were just going to get rid of it anyway. Want to tell us more about that? Yeah, well, that's, I think you've summed it up very well. It's been on the books for less than a month. Uh, and like you said, there was a fierce, fierce reaction from Amazon and other local business, well, other business leaders that happened to be headquarters, headquartered in uh, Washington State and Seattle in particular, uh, came out very hard against this. Uh, some of the other uh, big uh, corporations that I believe were in opposition were Starbucks, uh, a local fixture, uh, Dick's Burgers also came out pretty hard against it. So, yeah, just this very uh, united outcry against uh, this uh, measure to try and alleviate homelessness in uh, Seattle, which has been an increasingly major problem, what with uh, the fact that so many people are priced out of the market anymore. Um, and so, yeah, there was a, uh, a number of meetings over the past couple of months where uh, city council members showed up and they got harangued by activists and, you know, some citizens uh, demanding that this be uh, taken back or you know, repealed. And then uh, this, uh, these groups also put together an initiative to uh, roll it back as well and got it for the ballot in November. And so what it's come down to now is, uh, yeah, I guess this last week, the uh, city council backed down, saw which way the wind was blowing, saw the large number of signatures for uh, turning their measure back over. So they voted seven to two to undo it. And some of the groups actually, I believe, uh, I'm not sure which side the citizen activists on, but... The uh, story here is that a group is uh, suing for a potential violation of open meetings based on the appearance that uh, coming into that meeting to repeal, uh, it looked very much like the fix was in, that the members had con members of the city council had consulted with each other in advance. They knew that they wanted to get this done and get it done quickly and get it off their plate. And so that's how they came in with this uh, seven to two ruling so very, very fast. Um, I'm not sure where that'll go. I don't see a lot of evidence beyond suspicion, at least in the story, that that's what happened. Like, huh, it happened really fast. So more, I think it's entirely... more to the point, I don't think anything illegal happened here. And I don't think any violation yeah. of the open records law happened. We allow representatives, legislatures to discuss things. We allow them to discuss. They're supposed to talk to their colleagues. In fact, they have entire hours in their day set aside for talking with their colleagues. The issue here yeah. is apparently that seven of the counselors knew that they were going to vote for repeal before the meeting. They hadn't voted for repeal yet. They just knew they were going to. Then they had a meeting no. where they voted for repeal. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. Where it does start to violate sunshine laws, though, is if they actually did all get together and confer beforehand. Uh, I mean, back in my past life when I was on uh, the Juno uh, City and Borough of Juno Assembly, we actually, although we did our best to you know prepare for meetings and issues and things like that, we always made it a point to make sure there weren't more than four of us, or actually more than three of us getting together at any one time to talk about an issue or strategize on something, because then 
after you know once it gets to be about that you enough to call a quorum uh, then you are in a situation where you are de facto violating the Open Meetings Act by getting together and debating something as public officials without the public having notice of it. And I think that's what's being alleged here, but I don't see a lot of evidence yeah, for it. I don't. They just I, came into the room knowing what they wanted to do. Exactly. I, I, I don't think that that, I don't even think talking to each other and, and talking strategy is a violation of that law. Otherwise, party luncheons and, and all that sort of stuff is going to be off the board. The fact that party members mm -hmm. are getting together to talk strategy is not doing an act of government. They aren't passing yeah. legislation in there. They're talking about how they feel. They're talking about how they're going to move forward as a party. Obviously not in this case. The Seattle City Council yeah. is not full of Republicans, so it's, it's pretty much a one-party establishment. But the, the same logic holds true on that. I don't... Uh, yeah, I, oh, I'm, I'm thinking like the counter example is Congress, but I'm, or a whip I would count. think Congress has a lot of exemptions that are a whip count up for that. by any sure. by, by that same logic. If this violates uh, an open records law, just a party keeping a whip count does, at least right. in my opinion, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so that could be completely wrong. Well, I think the issue there would be, I believe that Congress has exempted itself from a lot of the open open meetings and Sunshine Act laws, and that yeah. would probably be one. But you can't tell me that the Oregon State Legislature or the Washington State Legislature doesn't have a whip for each party whose responsibility is knowing what members are going to vote on what bills in what way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, so another thing I want to come from this is I didn't like the idea of the head tax. I thought it was a stupid way of going about a tax that was needed. I just think the proper way is for Washington to amend it, its tax laws to allow the city to impose an income tax. And that's what the businesses said they wanted. Uh, Amazon in particular was drumming the bell very hard about how their average employee makes more than $100,000 a year. They pay their employees well. If you want to tax it, tax them. We won't stand in the way of that. I want to take them at their word for that. I don't, but I want to. I yeah. definitely feel a lot more uh, charitable to uh, their opinions on that, if they if they took the resources that they were going to use fighting this, and they poured it into trying to make tax code changes in Olympia, actually fixing this shit so that you guys could do what the businesses wanted you to do, I would it would go <laughs> so much farther for giving me faith that they actually believe what they're saying. It, so if anybody from Amazon is listening, if you drop ten million dollars, which is a drop in the bucket for you. $10 million into the Washington legislature and lobbying to get Washington's fucked up tax code changed. I will not say another bad thing about you in relation to this head tax because you're right. You're just assholes, and I don't think you mean what you say. No, it's just don't tax me. You know, no. Don't 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 fix it. Just don't tax me. Yeah. Uh, and the other part of the story you submitted a link to, although I was actually reading some other things, including a attacked by a homeless person and tourist in downtown Seattle that ties into this. Mm -hmm. But uh, the Seattle City Council is going to try to find the money that they were going to use for all these affordable housing initiatives from somewhere. And I, I guess their their best option is the county? Is that what I was reading correctly? Uh, well, that's one, one of the group the activists are going to, in, just because uh, that's really the jurisdiction and there is some money there. The big kind of cow that was... Uh, 
or the ox that was fit for goring that was mentioned in the article was uh, about 200 million nearly in upgrades planned for Safeco Field, which is you know pretty emblematic of the uh, way sports teams uh, treat major cities. I think you know Major League Baseball is a little bit less egregious than the NFL in how they do that, but uh, it's still a massive amount of money to go towards a private and profitable institution uh, when there are thousands of homeless people on the street every night in Seattle. So, yeah, I think that was one of the things they were going to go after is try and get some of that money out of uh, the county from uh, hotel receipts, hotel tax receipts. I'm, I'm just going to pitch this here because nobody's actually going to pay attention to my thoughts on pro sports anyway. But if the, the city, if the teams are expecting the city to fund this much of, of their, their infrastructure and whatnot, why aren't the cities getting an ownership stake? It's worked for the Green Bay Packers. They're the most stable NFL franchise in history. They're in a town of 60,000 people that never even once thought about moving because they're owned by the fucking town. Right. Uh, well, that would be communism, Brock. And <laughs> it worked in that. Green Bay. And, and <laughs> actually, specifically, the, the NFL's by rules prohibit any team ownership structure like the Green Bay Packers. They just have a special carve-out, a grandfather clause for the Green Bay Packers. They're the only ones who allowed uh, uh, public ownership. It's not even technically public. Uh, it's not run directly by the city. It's run by a nonprofit that the city granted right. ownership to a while ago. But and uh, yeah, that wow, that, that I I wasn't aware that uh, other cities were prohibited from making a Green Bay arrangement yeah, as well. There there actually was some talk about doing this with one of the East Coast games. I think the Washington Redskins. I I think was the the one who huh. was discussed. I don't know, maybe ten years ago, fifteen years ago. And uh, sure. the NFL specifically had a, a law put in the books to prevent that in any cases that worked the Green Bay Packers. There would be no public ownership. Wow. Well, that's... Oh, man. If the Vikings are good this year, I'm going to be so damn torn as to what I, <laughs> whether I can actually watch. Uh, good God. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, I would love to see that ownership model. I mean, I, it really has worked phenomenally for Green Bay. And I don't know if that's specific to Green Bay. Maybe people in, you know, the ass end of Wisconsin with no other real options will crawl over broken glass to go watch a football game. They do right. sell out their stadium for like the last 70 years in a row or some shit. But uh, it, it's worked well. The team has never threatened to move. They have come to the city asking for help with their stadium before, but the city doesn't feel like they're being held hostage because it's like their own department asking for some money. It's way better than this mercenary-like aspect of pro sports where they just try and drag as much money out of the local market as they can before running away to another. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, that'll finish it up, and we're going to wrap it up then, I guess. Uh, in terms sure. of what we're following this week, uh, I'm going to start off with something that I know Dan will not talk about, and that is mm -hmm. hockey. The Washington Capitals finally won <laughs> a... Uh, a Stanley Cup in a long, long-awaited uh, adventure. Ovechkin, one of the greatest players to ever play the NHL. He will be a first ballot Hall of Famer, no question. There had been some talk about just how great he was, though. Uh, he had what's been described as a Dan Marino career. He is known as the greatest player to never win it all. He finally won it all at the ripe old age of somewhere in his mid to late 30s, which 
doesn't sound like a retirement age, but when you're in a sport where you get slammed into it 30 miles an hour by big, beefy guys, it, it takes its toll on you after a while. Yeah. Um, they had the serendipity to win on the 40th anniversary of Washington's last major championship, which was a Bullets NBA championship. Um, the team they played was a feel-good story of the year. It was the Vegas Golden Knights. Their first year ever as a team. They were an expansion team. They were composed of players that the other teams didn't want in an expansion draft. Uh, all the players that they didn't want on the team anymore, they put up, and Vegas got a pick from them. Uh, a shooting outside their arena took the lives of hundreds of people at the start of the season. It was a, a massive, massive impact on them psychologically. Their slogan of Vegas Strong comes directly from that incident. It is the most successful inaugural season in the history of professional sports. No other expansion team has made it as far as Vegas did within only a couple games of winning their championship. To top it all off, Washington paid astounding amounts of money, literally astounding amounts of money, to take out a full-page ad covering the front page of the sports section of the Las Vegas Review-Journal, thanking Vegas for everything that they had done, congratulating them on their season, and really just being the icon of sportsmanship that you don't really see in professional sports. So, one take yeah. a moment. It was a great season of hockey. Vegas did amazing, even though they eliminated my team. I still was very impressed with what they did. And congratulations to Capitals, and congratulations to Alexander Ovechkin. Maybe I should follow hockey. That's that's a much nicer, more feel-good story than you really hear in oh, anywhere else in sports. Oh, it was incredible. And Ovechkin, who is incredibly Russian, by the way, I forgot to mention that. Mm -hmm. He barely speaks English. The one thing he does know, curse words. Just knows them all. <laughs> It, it's something of a tradition. They try to keep the mics away from him after a game, at least far enough away that they can't hear exactly what you're saying. But man, as that timer ran down, he, he grabbed one of his teammates, I think it was Ovi, and was just like, fuck yeah, bro. And it was it was caught <laughs> right front and center on the NB, uh, NBC broadcast. They, they laughed at it, man. It was great. It, it was a moment that was long coming. The guy's been playing in the NFL since, or NHL since 2003. Like, he, he earned yeah. this one. All right. Uh, well, uh, as far as what I'm following this week, I'm boring. It's kind of what we've talked about off and on, but it really is crunch time for the Supreme Court. Uh, as of Monday morning, we're going to get another set of rulings, and there are only a handful of really high-profile things left, and we're likely to see it either you know, this coming Monday, uh, the following Thursday, or the following Monday. And... There's a lot of high-profile stuff. We've talked about Janus uh, repeatedly, uh, major impact on uh, public sector unionism, and then the other one that you know, could be even broader implications are the uh, is the gerrymandering case, which is still outstanding. The cases, which we've covered repeatedly, as uh, more and more has been rolled up into it, and the stakes are extremely high. So, yeah, it's down to the wire for the Supreme Court and every single Monday, uh, 7 a.m. Pacific. Time to watch. I'm starting to think they might kick the gerrymandering to next term. Yeah, that could very well be. Uh, that just, you know, more argument, more discussion, more evidence, more stick fingers in the wind to see which way it's blowing. Yeah, that's entirely possible. All right. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for joining me, Dan. And uh, have a great one. This has been your June 16th edition of Cascadian View. All right. Have a good week. Have a good one. Bye. All right.